Most people focus so much on the patrons that are outside the organization, and they don't focus enough on those inside the organization. And so I think loyalty starts with your biggest champions, which should be the internal patrons. What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give and Ovation. I am joined by Joseph Zala, who is a principal creative and strategist at Vigor Restaurant Branding, where he has been for over 21 years. Now, don't let his youthful glow fool you. He has worked with brands like Zaxby's, Steak and Shake, Marriott, Reebok, Porsche, Hershey's, Coca-Cola, and, uh, and more. He has a book called The Bullhearted Brand. And we are just super excited to have you on, Joseph. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Excited to be here uh, and, and have some time together. So first of all, let's talk what is Vigor, and then I want to talk about what is your book, and then let's dive into a couple of really hard-hitting questions. Awesome. Let's do it. So Vigor, uh, we are a restaurant branding and marketing agency based in Atlanta, servicing uh, the world, or mostly the nation, but we have worked internationally. Um, been rocking for gosh, 21 years, like you said, I, I, that's just really scary to think about. Um, and we've worked with brands of all sizes. And so we're really great at helping people develop a concept. That's a kind of a dream and a vision and bringing it to reality. Uh, and we're just as effective as launching new campaigns, uh, from advertising, marketing, the whole gamut. And really the only thing we don't touch is we're not architects and we're not public relations, uh, experts, but everything else surrounding restaurants, we are in it. Love that. And, and talk to us about your book, The Bullhearted Brand. Yeah, so it's uh, The Bullhearted Brand is a bit of a labor of love, uh, passion as well. Um, so what, what I realized in working with all these clients over the years, I mean, we worked with over 250 brands. We've launched over 1,700 concepts uh, or, or um, collective number of units. And in that time, what I realized is, for instance, if we're working with like a large franchisor, there's franchisees who still need help and we just aren't cost effective for it. Um, we also realize that there's just are some folks that don't have the capital to invest in, um, you know, hiring a branding agency of our caliber uh, or anyone outside of a single person design shop. Um, but I still want to help. And so I essentially took everything that I know out of my brain, put it into book form, including a lot of um, first person experiences, uh, stories of, um, bulls from around the globe across cultures across time that illustrate really great lessons to take away and and somehow glued that thing together in 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 a way to help people charge ahead of the herd love that i think that makes a that's awesome because i think a lot of times it's hard when you hear brands like you've worked with and to think man like i, I want to talk to this guy but I know I can't afford him. <laughs> I've got, yeah, I got yeah. two locations and a taco truck, like isn't going to happen. Right. So I think that's a great way to, um, to, to go and, um, you know, get, get into your head 
and something where I'm excited. I've already uh, purchased a copy of the book, so I'm excited to get mine. Uh, but I think it's going to be, um, yeah, I'm excited for it because I think that it's great to distill all of that knowledge and experience down so that anyone can really grab onto it. Now, yeah. I, I talked about some hard-hitting questions, Joseph. So let's start off. Let's start off with one. I didn't prep you for this. Uh, I, I didn't tell you in advance I was going to ask you this question, but it's one that has a debate the world over. Is it Porsche or Porsche? It's Porsche. Yeah, there's no debate. No. It's Porsche. <laughs> what? Well, why do yeah. all the hillbilly you... hicks like me say Porsche? <laughs> Laziness? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you, you get a little bit of a tut-tut from leadership if you call it Porsche. In fact, actually, it's more than a little bit. It's a stop all conversation. Let me fix that. Um, and while we're at it, I also did a lot of work with Lamborghini, and it is not Lambo ever. It is always Lamborghini. Um, so they're very particular about these things. <laughs> you know, I, I lived in uh, San Francisco and when people call it San Fran, very similar where yeah. it's like, you don't call it San Fran and you don't wear shorts. Those are just two things in San Francisco <laughs> that you don't do. <laughs> yeah. Here, okay. here in Atlanta, um, there, there was a big billboard in the airport uh, a couple months back and I just couldn't thank the people enough. It just said, nobody calls it Hotlanta. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I know it seems like there's a few branding problems out there that uh, Joseph, you should That's help right. with. Um, well, now on to a super easy question: How do you build loyalty? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an easy one. It has a one-word answer. Um, <laughs> authenticity actually would be the one-word answer. Oh, interesting. Um, you know, so so what's great is you know I, I unpack like there's a whole section of the book where we talk about patrons and. We use the word patrons on purpose because I um, seriously despise the words target market, target audience. I don't think that you should target your friends. It's a very violent way of talking about people that you want to become friends with. Um, yeah. But everybody or, or most people focus so much on the patrons that are outside the organization and they don't focus enough on those inside the organization. And so I think loyalty starts with your biggest champions, which should be the internal patrons, when they understand the brand and most importantly, why they do the things they do, why the brand even exists and how they affect meaningful, measurable change in the restaurant organization, then you get people who will champion this brand and essentially be that final piece of believability. Um, and so the way to increase loyalty is by making sure that nobody is uh, creating reasons to disbelieve the brand's promises. Um, and we talk about that a bit in the book, and it's something that we preach to our clients all the time. And I think that starts with authenticity. And authenticity meaning if you say something, you better mean it. Um, you better back it up with action. You better create the scenarios where people say, oh, yeah, I, I, I can see how that's coming to life, and therefore I believe this brand more. Um, authenticity is the key. I, I think authenticity oftentimes is really hard to build. And it's hard to build because as a business, you're trying to make money, you're trying to be successful. And so you're trying to do what other people, the most amount of people who would pay you the highest amount would, would want. But there's also a certain, uh, I feel like that's been played over so many times. And if there's anything that the last season of Game of Thrones has proven, it's that if you follow what the, the viewers want, 
you're going to end up with bland vanilla and it's going to ruin everything else <laughs> that the brand has ever done. And anyway, and you should remake the last season, not you know, me- metaphorically. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but when you look at it in terms of that, that authentic brand and when you are truly you, people are a lot more accepting nowadays, right? They're, they're looking for that connection to something real, not that manufactured flavor that they've, that has come from, you know, 50 focus groups and a thousand surveys and 10 ethnographies. They, they want something that's, that's genuine, right? From the heart. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that happens. So what you're kind of tapping into, or at least dancing around is the other part of when we talk about patrons. And I think this is a little bit of the secret sauce, which is not so much a secret because I put it in the book. Um, but it's something that we talk to all of our clients about is it's not good enough to know demographics. In fact, I think demographics are garbage. I think they're great for literally finding where a certain group of people are on a map, but it does very little in communicating with people visually, verbally, uh, orally, experientially. Um, instead, you want to be talking about their, their values and optics, which we call their projections. And so the reason why we buy one brand over another actually has very little to do with objective reasoning and facts. It has a lot to do with feelings and it has a lot to do with uh, an aura or a persona we want the world to see. And so we're essentially using brands to guide perceptions of ourselves by projecting traits via those brands. So um, I, I, I feel bad for anyone that has already listened to a podcast that I've been on, but I say this all the time. Um, I have an anecdotal friend. Her name's Lauren. She drives a Prius, shops at Whole Foods, has an Orange Theory subscription, and uh, wears Lululemon. By hearing those four brands, you have a much deeper understanding of Lauren's values and optics and who she really is and what drives her buying behaviors than if I told you that she was a 22-year-old African-American female uh, who makes you know, $70,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we focus really in on that when we're talking about brand because from there, if you create a vanilla experience that doesn't really stand for anything tangible or meaningful, you're going to miss people completely. And you may get them on convenience. You may get them um, one time because you just opened up as a new brand that they wanted to try out. But getting them to uh, reach loyalty and advocacy is going to be an impossible feat because you don't fit into anything that they can use to project their values and optics. So um, you're very much right in in what you said. It it is about standing for something and not pleasing everyone. In fact, you should try to piss people off because if you're pissing off a group of people, you're probably making another group of people happy. Yeah. And it's one of those things where the stronger the magnet, the stronger that's going to attract certain people, the stronger it will repel other people. But if you don't have that strong brand message, then there's no one that's going to be totally stuck to you because- Right. It's, it's all okay. Here or there doesn't make a difference. And that's the reason why 70% of first-time buyers never come back to your restaurant because there's nothing they connected with, right? So, yeah, where does this brand exist in my brain, in my space, right? We, we get hit with, I wish I had the stats, but it, it's got to be millions of brands a day, if not an hour. And, you know, you're trying to weed through that. And if you don't have a quick and easy way uh, for people to say, that's the kind of brand for me, you're done. It's fine. Again, you might get a little bit of a spark because I never heard of the brand. Maybe I'll try it out. And maybe someone told you about it, so you'll give it a shot. But if you can't easily categorize it, if you can't easily disseminate 
what this brand stands for, it's vanilla, it's gone, it's beige. So how do you get your employees to buy into this brand promise authenticity? Because they're coming into it with their own personalities, their own experiences. And quite frankly, employees are your first customers, right? Those are the people that you got to sell first and they need to buy in. Yes, you're paying them, but you need them to buy in. So how do you, how do you get your employees to, to buy into that brand promise? Yeah, and I think, so I think this is where um, activating the brand really comes into play and making sure that key stakeholders within the organization have a say and a voice and are involved in the brand development or brand evolution process. And so the reason why I say all that is oftentimes branding, quote unquote, branding is relegated to marketing, design, maybe C-level uh, folks have some touches on it, but ops, maybe they don't care uh, or they don't see how it affects them, HR uh, finance, these, these people are usually left out. But the way when we talk about what branding really is, branding is the company, the company is the brand. Therefore, branding should affect everything. So what happens is let's just take the CFO, for instance. So if he or she understands what this brand stands for, the, the, the purpose of this brand, how it um, comes to life through the layer of personality traits and the values and optics you're trying to foster, then when someone comes to that CFO with a zany idea or an idea that seems like a ridiculous use of money, they see and say, I see how this aligns with our brand. This is actually a good use of money. We want to invest here. Um, same thing for HR. So when you're talking about the internal stakeholders, the, folk, the patrons that are going to be working for you, be your frontline champions, um, you should be doing a really good job of marketing to those people by uh, you know, living what you've promised as a brand. And when you do that, people who aren't interested or don't identify with your brand will be less likely to apply to those jobs. When HR understands the brand that you're trying to build, the traits you're trying to put out there, then that can be a, a filter that they use when evaluating candidates. Now, of course, this is very easy to say when we're in a situation where finding talent is very difficult. But I think part of the reason why it's been, um, why it's become difficult, uh, uh, pandemic effects aside, is that we've done a very bad job as an industry of creating a, a, a future path and, and a career path for individuals who are just starting out. Mm. Um, we've also done a very bad job of removing the misconceptions that working at a fast food restaurant is a dirty, uh, embarrassing job. Instead, we really need to put efforts collectively um, for consultants as well as restaurant brands of pumping up the job making it better and showing them a path forward. And I think that's where technology's growth is really going to start playing a role. Um, Cause now we're talking, it's not just a career in food, it's a career in food tech and yeah. STEM start to play a role. Right. Um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to rebrand quote unquote and recommunicate this industry. And that will lead up to better individuals coming into systems and making a real impact. Um, and that all starts by understanding what you stand for, like you said. So, you know, if you want to be a cool, um, edgy brand, then you have to let people express themselves. And I think uh, brands like Dutch Bros does a really good job of that. You know, they, they pretty much let people flex their style however they want with certain parameters in place. And you see the quality of talent there in comparison to maybe a Starbucks or a Caribou Coffee. Yeah, where it's very much about the brand, less about the people, right? Exactly. Now, 
Now, one of the things, you know, I've got a few locations. I'm sitting here thinking, man, Joseph, I don't have like a brand promise. I'm like just really good at making pizza. Help me understand, how do I create and then share what my brand promise is? So that, that way I kind of have my North Star of where we're going. Yeah, so if you're already in operation, the good news, bad news is you already have a brand. You just haven't addressed it yet. And, and what I mean by that is because a brand has, very, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with like design until it's been established. Um, it's a cumulative experience. And so yes, design plays a role. Yes, verbal communications play a role. And as a result, you've already put out things to look at signage, interiors, uh, the packaging that you put your proverbial pizza in. Um, you've greeted people at the door. You've answered the phone. Uh, you maybe delivered that pizza. All of these interactions, all these experiences are culminating to a perception of the company, which is in effect the brand. That is the brand. So if you already exist, you're going to want to start by finding out from your most loyal customers uh, why, you know, and don't take because your pizza is good and don't take because you're close, because those are very uh, commoditized, you know, elements and factors. You got to get deeper than that and really dig into what is it about this company, about this brand that has kept you in and makes you loyal, makes you want to give us good reviews um, and, and start to dig into the, the more feelings and emotional levels of that. Uh, so that's a great scenario to be in because you can just ask those people and guess what? Just offer them some free pizza and they will talk. Um, once you have that information, you can start to really home in. What are those things that are aligning with your passions? And then start to distill that into, okay, this is actually our purpose. This is what we're really bringing to the world and why we exist. Um, now product is important, but product through the lens of purpose and through the lens of personality is more important. So if we take, let's just say a personality traits of zany and goofy and off the wall, well, a standard pizza offering is not going to really live that brand. So maybe you do want to do like a peanut butter and anchovy pizza because why not? You know, yeah. that's the kind of thing that'll get you noticed. Um, and so that's, you know, that's where ops and um, development really need to play a role and have a seat at the branding table because that food and the uh, LTOs that are produced should be through the lens of that brand because there are reasons to believe it. Love that. So what are some things that are most important about guest experience nowadays? Uh, safety is number one. It's always been number one. Um, and anyone who thinks different should not be in the industry. So uh, safety of the guest the patrons that are coming in and save the, uh, of your team, the patrons that are within the organization. Um, this should always be point number one. The worst thing a restaurant can do is get people sick. Uh, oh, anyway, I mean, no. look at it every Monday. If Gordon Ramsay were to walk into your fridge or freezer every Monday, what would he say? How many F-bombs would he drop? Uh, and you really should go for like a one F-bomb Gordon Ramsay level, right? If if on Monday yeah. you, your kitchen is worse than that, uh, then yeah, there is some there is some health and safety issues involved. So totally agree with that, Joseph. Uh, absolutely. It, it's number one. And, and, you know, you can think of it beyond just the, the task of cleaning. Um, you know, a kitchen's level of dirt will affect the flavor of the food, whether you realize it or not. Um, it will affect the efficiency of the people in back of house. It'll affect their pride. Uh, a clean kitchen, 
means a more prideful, a more engaged back of house. I don't, I don't care who wants to argue me on that. I'll go, I'll go, I'll go this with them. Um, and, yeah, so that's number one. Um, the other purpose is to provide something for people that is unique. And I mean that truly, not just the product, but the brand, you know, so if you can set yourself apart from all the other pizza places, you have an absolute winner. Um, and if you can do that first and do it better, then you can stay ahead of the herd, which is what it's all about. Awesome. And what are some successful things that you've seen lately in the restaurant industry? Um, pay increases, finding a way to work the numbers to uh, compensate people, not egregiously, not for the sake of, you know, hitting maybe political talking points, but in a way that attracts better talent and gives them a path forward. I think that's and, a big and one. And retains, quite frankly, right? There's a lot of... Yeah, a lot of horizontal movement right now. Yeah, I need to retain people. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'm really interested in right now is the um, the ghost kitchen and virtual kitchen uh, trend has really popped the top on creative naming. Um, I don't know if it's for better or for worse right now. I, I think it's for better because because the, the, the risk of money lost is so much lower. Um, I think the, the creativity and the willing to take a bigger risk with names has opened up. And I love that because, you know, we've lived in this world of possessive names like Zach's or Joseph's. Uh, then we were in the blank and blank era, you know, the hair and glasses, the, you know, office and cup. And it's like, come on, man, like we've, we've done this so often. Uh, we really need some innovative names out there, things that are breaking the convention. Um, and then I'm, I'm, Currently intrigued by Subway's menu refresh, and I'm interested to see how it's going to land and if it's actually going to push that brand forward. Have you um, tried their tuna lately? Been struggling. I haven't. I did notice that. Did you did you see that? Like, hey, we've upgraded everything. Same tuna. They were like, they're standing behind their tuna, like not moving. Yeah. Which is interesting because in my mind, I bet you a year ago as they were planning this out. Tuna was probably on the on the chopping block of like, how do we upgrade this? And I think now that it's been such a big to do, they honestly press rise, they can't afford to change it, right? Right. Because if they change yeah, it, maybe they're, they're only winner. Tuna, then they're admitting that something's wrong with it. So anyway, I think they were kind of backed into a corner there, but I think it was a great PR move for them personally. Yeah, and that's got to come. I have to imagine from just listening to people. Um, listening to what their their biggest fans really like, and why not make it a part of their marketing and advertising? Um, I think the advertising has been interesting enough. I still think it could be a little more aggressive uh, on the interest level, still a little tailored back. Um, they, but I'm intrigued kind of, to see what happens. Yeah, they they've been burned in the past though, putting all their eggs in the wrong basket. You know, a very wrong basket. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of the spokesperson approach. Uh, I get that it gives you some juice, maybe. I just don't think with younger crowds that anybody believes that um, Steph Curry is truly like this big Subway fan. Um, That's why micro-influencers are so much more valuable because, yeah, I could believe that somebody with 15, 20,000 followers, 100,000 followers likes a Subway sandwich. But, yeah, I'm not going to believe that Steph Curry's grabbing his – foot long on the way home from practice just ain't happening exactly um so yeah. i guess uh lastly who deserves an ovation in the restaurant industry today joseph 
Man, so I, I loved the question when, when you sent it through, and I had to give it a lot of thought because there's so many great people out there. Um, so I want to mention a couple names that were in contention because I think they deserve it. Um, Kelly Vallade, uh, she just took up post at Red Lobster. So impressed with her thinking, um, with her passion for the industry, and I'm really excited to see what she does with that brand. Uh, so she was definitely in contention. Um, Betsy Ham has gone from director of marketing or marketing manager to COO to CEO of Duck Donuts, I think all within a year. Um, and she's killing it too. She's an amazing, amazing person, very approachable and very nice, uh, but also extremely astute. And I'm excited to see how, where she takes Duck Donuts. Um, but the one that really won out for me uh, was Stratus Morfogan. So he is the guy who started Brooklyn Chop House in Brooklyn, New York. And then he recently started the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop. And he has basically resurrected the automat and just revitalized it with a big bomb of technology. Um, so that's one reason to really give him a standing O. The other one is his ballsiness and his refusal to back down from Yelp bullies and instead call him out and just own his brand and own the brand he's trying to build. Um, and not to shamelessly plug, but I, I have a podcast, which you'll be on soon. Um, and I, I interviewed him and his interview is coming up and I can't wait to share it because you'll get a good taste of what I'm talking about. But big, big ovation to Stratus Morfogan. Awesome. Well, uh, Joseph, for helping us really believe that somewhere out there in the world, there indeed is the fountain of youth and for breaking down these big brand strategies into bite-sized manual pieces. Today's ovation goes to you, Joseph. How do people find you, follow you? Yeah, find Vigor all over the internet, specifically on Instagram, at Vigor Branding. Uh, we would love for you to follow us on LinkedIn as well and check out our YouTube channel. Um, just a simple search of Vigor, Vigor Branding will bring that up. Uh, and then you can find the book, The Bullhearted Brand, currently on Kickstarter. Just visit bullhearted.co. Awesome. Well, Joseph, thanks for joining us today on Give Innovation, man. Sure do appreciate it. Awesome. I'm excited to uh, interview you and I'm excited to see how Ovation continues to outstand the world. Thanks, man. Glad you're with us today and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an Ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.